0: host Luca Rocchini and welcome to a new episode of the Carpe Diem podcast. Today I'm going to have a chat with Zoe Butzbilevic from New York, USA. Zoe uh, is Vice President of Development of the Documentary Group. She works closely with directors, producers and clients on projects ranging from limited series to feature docs to brand and content. The Documentary Group projects include Cartel Land, Midsummer in Newtown, when lamps become lions and invisible killers. Prior to joining the documentary group, Joe worked as freelance producer on narrative and documentary projects. She majored in film studies at the Barnard College, Columbia University. Hi, Joe. Thanks for being with us. How are you?
1: Hi, Luca. Good.
0: First, if you like to talk about your background, what was the spark to make you start working in the home entry? How did the progress over the years?
1: Yeah. Um, It was sort of a um, circuitous path, I think. Um, I mean, specifically documentary. You know, I mean, I think you and I actually made first documentary that i ever worked on <laughs> um, which one where, was it was... remember where are we going
0: where are we going was That was
1: <laughs> then <laughs> we walked around dublin and asked people where are we going um and uh you know we yeah like i um i studied film studies at barnard um and but that was that was very theoretical it was a lot of writing and criticism and theory not a lot of production. So when I graduated and, and I moved to Ireland, um, I really just wanted to get experience, and I found you and a whole set of people that, you know, we just wanted to make stuff and like kind of figure it out. Um, and you know, I was working; I had a job at Google at the time, so I was doing that um, for work. But then in my spare time, was uh, you know making short films, as you know very well. <laughs> um, and then when I moved back to New York, I really wanted, you know, I quit Google. I really wanted to focus on, um, film and I wasn't totally sure in one area. Um, I also happened to quit my job in August of 2008. So kind of like right before the financial crisis. <laughs> um, yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> um, moved back to New York and I had kind of a year of just piecing stuff together and it was good. I worked, I had a safety net and, you know, my partner had a steady job. So I had a little bit of a, a cushion, but I, you know, I was like hostessing. I was, I did internships. I interned at a, um, a doc company that did a lot of like social impact um, doc stuff and, and slowly like one thing led to another. So I, had an internship. And then one of the friends that I made at the internship, she started working at the Tribeca Film Festival. And so I got a job there. And I was like driving a 15 pass around, you know, um, Tribeca with the movie prints in the back of the van. And um, then she got connected to like a super low budget, basically no budget feature narrative. It was a beautiful script. Um, And it was like with a community of people that were definitely like more professional than me. So that was kind of my first real, like, you know, there was, a there was a an AD and a production manager and, and so I, Structure you know. It. Yeah. And so that was like kind of my first insight into that, even though it was still totally like super, super indie. Um, and I just, it, you know, and then eventually the, you know, one of the women that I met on that project, she hired me um, on a, documentary about Saturday Night Live in the 2000s as a production coordinator. So everything just kind of kept, um, going one thing to the next. Um, but a lot of what I, I think I figured out was more what I didn't want to do. Like there was a lot of, um, I liked being on set, but I didn't love it. And like, I didn't necessarily need to be working 16 hour days, you know, and I, (laughs) um, (laughs) You know, my partner had like a, you know, a normal nine to five full time job. Um, and so eventually I, I decided I really wanted to sort of find a company and grow within that. I wanted, And I also wanted to, after doing like tons of super indie stuff and really figuring it out and, and like, you know, running a bunch of doing a whole bunch of different kinds of roles, um, I wanted to kind of see how people do things at like the next level. Um, so I ended up applying for, um, an, uh, executive assistant job at the documentary group 10 years ago. Um, and I was hired for that. I think I was making like $700 a week or something like it was, um, you know, very much, I, it was very much an entry level job and I, I felt overqualified, but I really knew that I liked the company. I liked their work and that if it could like be a launching point, um, that would be, good. Um, and then I worked really closely with still my boss, Tom Yellen, who, you know, has a whole range of experience, I worked with Peter Jennings and produced, you know, all kinds of, um, content, uh, features, a lot of broadcast news really comes out of journalism. Um, <clears throat> but through that job I learned a lot about actually like you know working with networks and how you can structure projects that have money you know (laughs) at least some money there's never enough money ever Um, but I I had a really good oversight of because Tom kind of oversaw everything I really had a good oversight of both the business side and the content side Um, and I've played lots of different roles at the doc group. Like I ended up, we essentially created my role for me. Um, there wasn't someone there who ran development. It was a pretty small company at the time and it's still, it's still pretty small, but we've definitely grown. Um, and it was also at a really interesting time in docs, like when we first started, almost no one was doing, it was kind of like HBO and PBS and, um, it was like the height of the reality boom and the unscripted boom, and um, that just was never the kind of content that we were gonna do. Um, so we kind of scraped different projects together, and um, but slowly we it sort of happened to be at a time when more and more documentary was getting a, a bigger audience, and over time, like there's now there's now evolved this industry of like premium documentary and everyone's doing it and Netflix and you know um all the sort of big players are in the documentary game and even now like there's sort of even like a Hollywoodification of it you know Scott Rudin has a doc branch and like there's a whole ecosystem and that the, that has good and bad things about it but um so
0: at the yeah. right place at the right time basically
1: I think so and I mean I because I think my my DIY experience was really helpful, because I I've played a lot of different roles even at the doc group, and I've been much deeper on certain projects. Like, I've been on the field and Midsummer in Newtown, and I sort of, like, accidentally line produced Cartel Land, and, like, because it was such a small company that um, everyone was doing a lot of different things. Um, so, yeah, so that, and ultimately, I think what was surprising was um, what I really do is I now in development I I do a lot of writing I do a lot of research I do a lot of pitching um, I'm not really doing that much filmmaking um, and that's actually okay with me um, you know I'm I've been surprised by how much I actually like the business side of it and the sort of strategic side of things um, which I never would have guessed for myself um, but I think I do like seeing how things actually get made and how you can you know, if you have a project that you feel really passionate about, how you can actually get it in front of the right people and and try to get the resources. Um, And I still feel like I sort of scratched that creative bug because there's a lot of imagining what something could be and working closely with directors and talented people um, in the early stages and, like, really supporting them and trying to translate their vision um, to other people before the thing actually exists. So, and then there's a lot of, you know, we make reels and like so there's it's still sort of DIY because you know I'm at the stage of a project where there isn't any funding and so like we sort of have to still be scrappy and and um, put stuff together so I really like it um I think also with documentary one thing I just it just they were just kind of my people you know like um, I realized over time I think um, you know I love film I love cinema most of what I watch is not documentary but I I also have, you know, I think, um, I really like engaging with the world. I think about social issues. I sort of have, you know, always, um, approach things from a social, so social justice framework. And so like you, I, I think, um, documentary is a really interesting mix of that. And I really, I really love the people that I work with, um, and that I kind of come into contact with. Um, so, that's- so
0: that was the reason why you decide you choose documentary over fiction. Or it just happened, kind of a boat.
1: <laughs> I think, you no, it, it was actually eventually kind of like a conscious decision. Like, I, it also, there's, it's like a, um, I mean, it's a little, it's just less, you can have a little more of a life. Like, there's a quality of life to Doc, where obviously, if you're in the field and you're in production, that's kind of the same deal. But um, it's not like your whole life is being on set, you know? And, Um, I think for me too, like the freelance thing, I didn't, I could do it. I didn't love it. Um, I wanted some security, you know, I have two kids now, like there, I think there's a lot of, there ended up being a lot of quality of life stuff that, um, you know, took, took a priority, um, which, but which I think is like normal and part of like becoming an adult and (laughs) and trying to, trying to balance all the stuff that you want to do. Um, but I also like I was I always thought of myself as a writer, um, and so this actually does tra- like translate those kinds of skills. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't know.
0: And you're also well organized, as we. We met, <laughs> so the yeah. two things together, you know, okay, you bring money to projects that's perfect. <laughs> I know how to write that down, yeah, that probably makes sense, but let's go back a little bit um when you move uh to new- you moved back to New York, you were first to New York and then you went to Ireland and then back to New York so uh, was it how was it at the beginning being back in New York like after been that long in, in Ireland, how?
1: It was hard. I definitely, yeah, I definitely felt like I was sort of starting over and that I maybe had missed, you know, like a, a window of time when I could have gone straight into like a film job and kind of grown. And, um, I also wish I had used my contacts better. Like I, you know, I went to a, a, a relatively good school in New York and, I don't know why. I just like didn't think about. Now I have um, like young graduates reaching out to me and like asking for informational interviews, and um, and it's great. And like I love doing it, but I didn't even really think about doing that. Um, you know, Sheila Nevins, who ran HBO Docs, like she went to Barnard, like, and I I don't know why I didn't think about actually like taking advantage of that, especially considering how expensive um, <laughs> my education was. But um, it, I think you know, in some ways it was like, I, I like figuring stuff out and piecing it together. And so it, like, when I look back, I'm like, okay, that, that made a lot of sense. But at the time it felt like I had no idea how to, and I needed to work, you know, like there's kind of a, like, I feel like in film, you know, everywhere, but here there's, there's almost no like government support for the art. So like, It's especially in doc too. There's just a joke that like you either are broke or you have a trust fund if you're working in, you know, in Mm -hmm. film. Um, and I think also like, I, you know, it's like a relationship business, but I, it took me a while to realize that. And also it's something I, I realized looking back and I think I wanted things to happen really instantly. Um, and like, I wanted to get hired into the company out of my first internship. Um, but that didn't happen. But, you know, eventually a year later I returned and I was a post co- coordinator for them. And like, you know, it's all, it all builds on itself, but when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to True. see that. Yeah.
0: And, and can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, your first projects? Like if, if, if anything, any experience from freelancing or, you know, your kind of indie projects, like what kind of experience did you bring? To to your company at the moment?
1: Yeah, so how like my indie stuff informs what I'm doing now. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's being in development. Um, you're much better at your job if you've actually done other stuff and you've been in the field and you know what it's like to make something and um, you know, you have a respect for that process. So um you know, you both have a much better um, time just talking to directors and producers and, and like, you know, knowing what they're talking about. But also, I think, um, a lot of what I do is kind of try to match like what the what the best storytelling can be with what might actually have a chance in the market. <laughs> and it's so it's kind of this, but there's still a lot of like I- imagining what something could be and trying to do something that's ambitious and exciting and compelling, but also like can work within the bounds of reality. Um, so definitely my indie experience, um, I think being able to juggle like a million different things is, um, is very helpful. And I, I really like that. I think there are a lot of people in film and a lot of people in doc who like they just want to go deep on
0: a subject
1: for years and that's like super rewarding for them. Um, and I really like kind of having my hands in a bunch of, of different things. And, um, I, I think structurally, I think like in terms of framing, like I'm definitely kind of like a big picture person. And so I get to, um, also like help filmmakers translate what they want to do into something that can be kind of like outward facing. Um, and I just, that's, it's not like, again, it's not something I I knew I wanted to do or thought knew I would be good at, but it just sort of happened. So.
0: (laughs) And, and, uh, do you know how the documentary group started and, uh, how, how is the work progressing? How, how do you became VP then in the, (laughs) (laughs) the...
1: (coughs) excuse me? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Um, it was, it, so the founder, um, he founded it with uh, some other filmmakers or some other people, um, Peter Jennings, Wid- Widow, Casey Jennings, and then another filmmaker, Richard Robbins. Um, and they had a whole core team of people that they'd worked with at ABC News. And um, initially, they had started out as um, Peter Jennings Productions, and they worked with Peter Jennings, who's you know was one of the top news anchors in America. Um, and... Tom really I think felt like and what they worked for news but they didn't do like nightly news or super short segments they did like the longer form hour-long docs that were like a deep dive Um, and I think Tom as he tells it saw kind of the writing on the wall that they weren't going to keep doing that in broadcast news there really wasn't going to be space for that Um, and So they sort of created an independent company that had an output deal with ABC. And then Peter passed away really suddenly from lung cancer. Um, And so they reformed that company as the documentary group. And for a while, they still had an output deal with ABC. And that was really how they kept the lights on. Um, And then they started to get into other feature projects. They did um, a film called Steep, which was about like big mountain skiing. Um, I think that was their first feature doc. And when I came along, they were, um, you know, there. There was sort of a set of projects. There was a four-part series for PBS that was in production. Um, a few different things, um, and I don't know. It's always been, you know, Tom is uh, well-connected, super well-respected. Um, but it's always kind of been a hustle. <laughs> and, um, I think, you know, we just ended up having a good, uh, working relationship. He's been a mentor to me. Um, and so when I was, I was his assistant for a year and a half and like, you know, that job has a very limited, you know, it's, it's interesting. You get to see a lot of the business, but then you're like also getting lunch or whatever, you know, and that's part of the job. Um, and so I knew I wanted to move on to something else and I wasn't quite sure what, and, um, we sort of said, let's try this development thing. Um, and so uh, I did that and it was really supporting him. Um, and then it it was a small company. so like I, I, and I still wanted to get in the field more at that time. And so there were there were definitely things that I would um, sort of like fight my way onto or just because there was such a small group of people that were running the actual like company, um, you know, I would have, I would play a whole host of roles. And so like I produced a film called Midsummer in Newtown with another woman, Brayden. And we were, you know, I was on location for a lot of that. Um, I was also like six months pregnant when I was making that film. <laughs> um, Not which that's it's a whole other story. Cause I, we were in Sandy Hook where the school shooting had happened. Um, talking to parents while I was like pregnant with my first baby. Um,
0: but
1: yeah, <laughs> that was kind of intense. Um, and, and then I think um, more and more as I grew more confident and um, you know, Tom, he, Tom is great at like empowering people that he trusts to really take ownership of what they're doing. And he encouraged me to hire someone under me and she was amazing. And so we could really like expand our capacity and, um, you know, there's there again, like as this world turned towards the premium doc, uh, just kind of turned in our direction, we have lots of ways to try to take advantage of that. And, um, I don't know, we've just grown and grown and we've hired people in the sort of production role. And we finally, now I think we have a team, you know, we moved out of ABC offices a couple of years ago. That was like a big deal. We have a lovely office in Chelsea. Um, and now the team is me. Um, there's another woman who has worked with them for years. She's a director-producer, but she's actually been brought on as, like, an executive producer to oversee, really, like, content um, once things move into production. And then um, we have another woman who is runs production. Like, she puts the budgets together. She handles, you know, the logistics. Um, and so we're all now VPs as much as that like means anything. <laughs> um, I mean, it's still a very small company. Like most people are freelance. Um, but it has been cool. Like I think, you know, we're repped now by an agency and we like, um, there's been different steps that we've taken that, um, have kind of helped us. And it really it's the work, you know, cartel land was like a huge, um, project for us and that started because Matt I think like Matt's dad knew Tom and they met, saw each other at some Sundance thing and then he came by and that all started with like a Rolling Stone article about these like militia groups in um, in the southwest and like originally it was in Arizona and the whole Mexican side of things like didn't come until later and and I think Matt's dad sent him a article about like Michoacan and um you know the, the el Doctor um <laughs> and anyway like so that project you never we never could have known that it was going to end up being what it, we knew Matt was super talented um but that was that was a huge risk like we took a we took on a lot of risk on that project both financially and um well, Matt took on the most like actual risk, but uh, (laughs) you know, when you start to put like good work out there too, that, um, that helps. And we do some branded stuff that, that also like kind (laughs) of that can help to pay the bills. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, um, do you look for the right projects yourself? Do you kind of pitch and, uh, and, do you, do you look for fundings you, for that as well? Or, and what what kind of project are you looking for? How, how do you think is the right project? What are you looking at?
1: Um, it definitely, it depends. I mean, it's I think what's cool now is that I have a lot of autonomy. And so, you know, we have the, you always have to be opportunistic. So like, if stuff comes your way, you have to explore it, you know, we say no, a lot more, which is nice. <laughs> um, that's sort of a sign of success when you can actually like say no to stuff. Um, For me, um, like it's, again, it's still that filter of like, am I interested in this? And is there a market for it? And then I think also where there tends to be like a sweet spot for me is like, is it going to push the form in some way? Like, is there, um, it has to be great storytelling, but then also like, Is there some way that we can kind of push Doc in an interesting direction? So like projects right now that I I feel really excited about or that like we're sort of like my babies, you know? Um, One um, is a series for Quibi and it was it's built around this. um, It's called Nightgowns, and um, it's built around this uh, one of the winners of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, season nine, Sasha Velour, and she's like this avant-garde Brooklyn drag queen you know super sort of high fashion and high concept um and she has this show called nightgowns which is really like a drag review and it's this space for all different kinds of drag artists and different gender expressions and um but a really like collaborative like communal space it's very different than drag race which is like a you know reality competition um and we were connected to Sasha who wanted to do something with that um and I thought I was like a big drag race fan when I had my second kid. I was like, I just like watched like literally every, it was like the thing that I was like on my maternity leave that I watched. So I was very excited just like as a fan. Um,
0: That's a series, right?
1: Yeah. It's like a, a drag competition. Um, (laughs) um, They had a UK version recently. Um, But for me, what was super exciting about that was that we could sort of take our character-driven sort of verite storytelling skills and apply it to this world that was very like very big in pop culture and had like this mainstream appeal but we could do a different take on it um and also that for Sasha she was really um she really wanted to be an EP not just talent and so um, there was a lot around representation and like who gets to tell their own stories, and you know we talked a lot about um, wanting to sort of put people in the world and not explain it to them, um, and uh, like everyone I talked to, especially um, you know some of the older like uh, queer executives who had worked on different you know gay content. Um, we're like it'll never happen. Like you're never gonna sell it. Um, and uh, so it was just like very rewarding to actually oh, get it out there and find a home. And we found a good partner. And we just got renewed for season two. Um, even though Quibby's, you know, not um, there having so you some, st- some bumps, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you, you still you still trust your instinct, basically, is it?
1: Yeah, and I mean, like on that like? one. <laughs> You know that there was also a super indie side to that, where like they were like, "We have a show in two weeks. You guys should come." And we were like, "Okay." And we were like, "Can we spend uh, like a little bit of money and get a you know, can um, you know a DP to come?" And like we dropped in on the show and we did like a super like my version of a like <laughs> super indie shoot, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and. You know, but that was important. We got in there and we ended up using a lot of that material in the sizzle and, you know, in order to sell the show. So um, there's definitely opportunities to, to do that. But like that one, I like because it ticks at just a bunch of boxes. Um, and it's fun, you know.
0: <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's important. To entertain you while you work. And, and yes. do, do, do you aim to festival screenings as well, or just directly to TV and streaming and, uh, what do you have you achieved so mm-hmm. far? Yeah.
1: It depends a lot on the project. Um, you know, feature docs are, you know, that is, that usually is going to follow like the festival path, or at least from an awards perspective or a sales perspective or a branding perspective. Um, so that, that tends to be like, a slightly different path, it's much, much harder to actually fund a feature doc upfront, you know, um, it tends to be a more, you know, a process where you sort of keep coming back and finding different partners and, and scraping things together, even when you have a great track record and, you know, we're Academy award nominated, but like, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. and on feature docs, like my rule now is there has to just be like an amazing director who's, who's, they're going to make it no matter what, but if we can support them and we can like help them really focus on the business so that they don't have to do everything, you know, um, we can maybe make it better, um, or even better. And so like, we don't do a lot of those, but, um, we're always drawn to them. Like when lambs become lions is, is one of them. And, um, John Casby, I think is just like an unbelievably talented up and coming, DP and um filmmaker and that's I mean unfortunately that film didn't get super wide distribution I think it's like a a beautiful beautiful crafted like cinema verite documentary you should watch it if you haven't you would love it Luca which one Um, (laughs) (laughs) when lambs become lions okay um and then one that we have in production that I'm that I love and that I'm like I'm sort of a champion of and and um still on, even though it's you know technically in production, is a film that was brought to us by a director. He um, had a really beautiful film, his second film called For Hakim, which was, again, like a, um, a verite film. And for his next project, he had found um, this like 72-year-old Anglican priest in Toronto who was becoming one of the first um, people in the world to receive a bionic eye implant. He had gone blind in his 30s from a genetic disorder, um, and so Landon had been even before he brought the project to us, he'd been tracking the project for like five years and following all through the process. Um, and that's light,
0: dark, and it's light, right? That's so, dark yeah, light, dark, light. Yeah, I to ask you about,
1: yeah. 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 Um, so we had amazing access, but then what? What was really cool about his vision? Um, was he like he really wanted to make the film an exploration of perception and to find different mm-hmm. ways to represent Ian, who's the main character, like his um, different modes of seeing. And so, um, like, they use a depth sensor camera to film things and animate on top of it to represent his the, the sort of new form of perception that he's pioneering with the bionic eye. Um, and then he also did these sort of very dreamy um I I guess they're recreations but they don't sort of you know they're much more like stylized of both um Ian's kind of like idealized memories of sight when he was a kid growing up in England and he's in the field with his siblings and in an apple orchard and you know this very like warm sunny um kind of like this you know your nostalgia for sight. And then also um when Ian lost his sight in his thirties as a young father, like in Nova Scotia in the fog. And so representing all these different modes of perception that are all really in his head. Um
0: that's a dream for a DOP.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he has an amazing uh DOP on the project. Um so that that's really drew us, like that creative ambition. You know, it's not, it's definitely not the most, like, commercial film, you know. <laughs> um, but we knew Landon was really talented, and, and we knew that he um, was trying to do something, like, different and ambitious. And so that, you know, kind of gets us excited. It <laughs> gets me excited.
0: What were the challenges making this film? Um, finished it, right?
1: No, it's still in the edit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, there's been a lot of challenges. There always are. (laughs) I think, um, you know, I mean, Landon, thankfully, you know, he has he also had his own production company. He also does, you know, branded work and stuff. So he was and he was able to sort of piece together the the verite production um, just sort of by, you know, the skin of his teeth and and calling in a lot of favors from really, you know, top level um, people and Um, and so the first hurdle was, like, really needing to get the financing to actually do those big, ambitious, like, almost more scripted scenes. Um, and, uh, we were able to find a great partner with, uh, Riot and Vice, and they gave us a little more than half the budget, um, and so that allowed us to really jump in and get started, um, but we're still fundraising, like, we're still (laughs) sort of, we have, like, you know, um... A bunch of different approaches that were like, well, if we can't raise any more money, then this is what we're doing. And if we, you know, <laughs> so there's that kind of okay. just adjusting. Um, creatively, though, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much I want to say, but, you know, Ian, it's not like he gets the implant and he can see again. Like, that's not ultimately what the story is. It's much more nuanced and it's much more complex. And, um, You know, there's a lot of themes about like faith and technology and what happens when technology is interacting with your biology. And um, so I think, you know, and this has really been for Landon and he has a super talented editor, uh, Lily Henderson. Like they've really been wrestling with this. But what is a satisfying ending? And how do you structure that? Because it's a in, in a lot of ways it's a very small film and it's really about Ian and his internal experiences and he's a very stoic sort of Anglican grandfather figure. So it's not like he's, um, you know, his emotions are definitely like under the surface, which if you play it right can be really compelling, but it's also, um, you know, you feel like you're working within like a, a little box and trying to find ups and downs in the story. Um, so finding that narrative and crafting that um, has definitely been a lot of mm. trial and error in the edit.
0: It's interesting, you know, it's an interesting theme. I, you know, I watched the teaser, I found it very, very interesting, very fascinating. And <clears throat> it is interesting as well, like, you know, both of us, like, I had a friend in Conan, they blind, and she yeah. went blind when she was six, I think, or four, for a car accident, yeah. unfortunately. But, it's, you know, a sensitivity is something special, you know. And so, I kind of welcome a documentary about uh, people. Blind people, you know, but actually, how how great they can be in their lives, like, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, it's
1: it's funny that you say that because I think like what the film has ultimately become about is like, is the the act of trying, and like just in the face of impossible odds, like putting one foot in front of the other, and we've like Ian has sort of become almost this like Don Quixote character who like you know, just keeps getting that ba- he gets, just keeps getting knocked down and then, you know, keeps okay. getting back up. And ultimately it's sort of about that, like the human capacity to
0: withstand, just
1: try. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. No, I think about Jenny a lot with that. Um, and I, I want to know what she thinks about the whole thing. <laughs> it's very, the, the surgery itself is like very controversial in the blind community. Cause, some people and Ian is a genetic disorder. So Ian has a sister okay. with the same disorder and, but she's taken a very different path and she's sort of is just like, I have accepted my blindness and I don't want to, you know, and Ian's sort of chasing this fantasy. Um, and there are definitely two kind of camps like that. Um, it's something that's worth pursuing and yeah. Or, you know, that does that negate your identity as a blind person? You know, there's like a lot of, issues around identity as well which is interesting
0: do you do do i want to give time and you know and and space for hope you Mm -hmm. know and you know that's that's lots of uh, it's quite an effort you know like only stand i just lie back i know how to live this way anyway um but now at the moment like are you looking for some particular themes or issues at the moment for new new projects your interest, interested. Um,
1: in? yeah. I mean, I think there's you know, there's always certain things that, um, like certain buckets in the market that you're like, oh, what would our sort of like true crime thing be? Or you know, um, and I think we may have found that, um, but it's I can't really talk about it, it's too early, um, and yeah. I mean, like, I have a team now, and they're under me, and they're amazing. Um, and they're really good at, like, keeping their finger on the pulse of what they think the market wants and other, like, podcasts. And, you know, um, so we're definitely looking at that space. We're actually developing our our first podcast, which is, like, a sort of narrative doc and investigative kind of um, project. It's a cool – it's, a, like, kind of wild. There's a playwright – and he's writing a play about Stalin's daughter, um, Svetlana. And there's this just crazy story about um, when she came to America after her whole crazy life being Stalin's daughter up until that point wow. um, and ended up essentially getting like sucked into Frank Lloyd Wright's cult by this Montenegrin sorceress. <laughs> anyway, so that's, we're like, and you know, that was just sort of collaborators, friends of friends. Um, and we're, kind of diving into that space and trying to figure out the wild west podcast like world. Um, for, yeah, for me, it's like, there's, there's a business side and you have to keep things moving. And so you have to kind of make sure that you're trying everything. Um, but I'm, I'm very lucky in that, like Tom, you know, he's very clear about like why he does this and that it's, it's because, he loves storytelling and he loves the process and we're sort of allowed to not, you know, we want to do things that interest us, which is like a very, um, basic thing, but it, you know, it's not always possible. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's a, it's, it's a real opportunity. So, um, I don't know if there's like major, but there's obviously a huge conversation now. Um, and there has been for a long time, but that's bubbling to the surface about, race and representation in doc and, and sort of, you know, even still it's a very, it's a very white industry and it's it's still quite a male industry, at least on the directing side. Um, so I think that's really interesting and, and that's something we're talking a lot about, um, at doc group and how to actually structure projects differently and just to really create opportunities and to make sure that, um, we're thinking about, the community that we're telling the story about and that we have ways of actually making sure that they have a voice and representation on not just on camera
0: yeah what, what what's your experiences on about the representation on minority groups and women like
1: yeah um i mean also very lucky like my company is almost entirely women <laughs> at least in in management positions and i think there, there are a lot of women in doc um uh I think the the race side of things is much more is much more challenging and it's still an industry where you have to work for free a lot um, and you know there isn't a clear path and you know there's um, so there's, financially there's a lot for of minorities barriers.
0: it's harder yeah the, or even the, for you know thinking about
1: class yeah yeah hmm. um, and I think um, you know for a long time I mean, documentary has always been almost like an anthrop- started as an anthropological um, exercise. And so it, it's sort of always, it's it's often been people who are not of that community going in and, t- and telling that story and then leaving. Um, and so I think that's just a really important conversation to have, and it's something that, you know, not to take for granted. Um, and I think, like, the real question now is not, is there a desire to change or do better? Like, but what do you actually do, and what's actually going to have an impact, and what is going to last over the long term? Um, and a lot of that is also just about like listening, <laughs> you know, listening to people of color and like actually, you know, trying to center their voices. And um, so, I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely something where I I feel um, excited to be in a position. You know, even though it, I think it's, you know, it's still relatively small, but there, I do have I do have some power in the industry and I have the ability to champion projects and I have the ability to put projects and people in front of, you know, the, all the people that are making content right now. So for me, that is like an exciting opportunity. Um,
0: all right, and uh, I have a couple of more questions, then we can mm-hmm. wrap it up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how do you find living? You know, I kind of ask people from different parts of the world. You know, how do they find living and working in their place? So how do you how do you find in New York? What what where what are the challenges? What were the challenge challenges yeah. at the beginning, especially?
1: Well, New York is great. It's very expensive. You know, like everyone knows yeah. that. Um,
0: <laughs> More than London. So
1: yes, exactly. I don't know. It might, <laughs> London might be worse, but. Um, You know, at the same time, there is like same as London, there's just so much happening and there's the sort of people that you meet. um, Like everyone is there for a purpose. It's like it's interesting. It's a very like purpose driven place. Um, But yeah, I think just if you don't. If you need to work like and you're starting out, it's just really hard. Like you have to be super committed and you have to find a balance, you have to find some way to to do that. Um, and now I'm really living the like mom life, you know, like I have two young kids and, um, so that's really just about this kind of crazy balance. Like it's just a completely full, like there's just no space in my life that isn't taken up by like either family or work or, um,
0: or taste podcast. You know.
1: Yeah, or this podcast or, like, (laughs) trying to send postcards to get people to vote in this election because I, like, think America might be um, (laughs) at the end of its democracy, maybe. But, um, so yeah, so that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I've been following uh, Stephen Stephen Colbert. Been watching all the time, you know, from the pandemic. He actually lives in Montclair, where where I am,
1: in New Jersey. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. That was his backyard. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> his wife runs the film festival here. Um,
0: and uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I, I mean, I, one thing that I think was cool for me, though, like, especially after I had my second kid, I don't know. Maybe I was just like so tired. Um, but professionally, I kind of just stopped caring not about my job I just like stopped caring what people think (laughs) and it made me so much better at my job like I was um I don't know I was really willing to just kind of like run with it like I didn't have time I had to just like get things done and so like there was something about it that even though so much was going on there was something very liberating about it where I was just like all right well I just have to like take control and get this shit done. Cause I got to get home to like, you know, put these children to bed. Um, so that's been kind of interesting to, yeah, um, right. like, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at my job and I, like, I think I offer like a more unfiltered, um, opinion, which ultimately makes me like a better VP or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, which is, was also surprising. I wouldn't have anticipated that.
0: And the, uh, how, uh- how have you been living these pandemic days? Like, uh, are you working from home now? Right.
1: Yeah. Working from home. I mean, that's, that's actually been, for the most part, that's actually been nice. And, you know, my husband's working from home. We're very lucky to be working and to be able to work from home. And, um, I mean the first, the first couple months were definitely just pure survival. Um, and we would, you know, Michael, my husband would work from six to one and I would watch the kids and then, um, I would work from one to six and like, we just, for three months with, you know, we had no childcare, we had nothing. It was just, we were just in our bubble. Um, like that. So that was just kind of this like groundhog day, like, you know, (laughs) and my, you know, my kids are six and three, basically the three-year-old, you can't like, he just demands attention, like in every possible way. Um, so there were parts of that that were nice and that were felt very like, you know, we got actually to spend a lot of family time together and there were parts that were like very overwhelming. Um, and now things have opened up a little more and we have some childcare and like, so it feels like we're a little more in a rhythm. Um, I mean, we've been very lucky, I think overall. Um, and then being Plenty. in development, like since there's no production right now, <laughs> I, I've actually been super busy and we've really been like ramping up. Um, And there were certain things that projects that were kind of on the back burner, but they're like, Oh, they're really archival driven. So that could be something that we could really push forward right now. So let's like, let's really get that one ready to go. Um, so we've like the development team has actually been like extremely busy, um, weirdly, um, still not clear. Like if people are really buying and really want, (laughs) you know, nobody really quite knows how to go back into production in like a real way, but, um,
0: at least so you're not, you're not production. There is no productions at the moment. We have
1: one, we have one project that's in production. It's a very, um, small team. It's like a, you know, access driven, uh, sort of verite project. Um, actually with John Casby, who did when lambs become lions. Um, and so he's kind of, he's very, uh, he can be a one man band if he needs to. Um, so that we've been figuring that out and then, we have one more thing that's probably going to ramp up. So we're going to have to start to figure that out. But, you know, Doc can be a little more um, flexible, you know, and if you have to, you can have, you know, a cameraman who's running his own sound and you can shoot an interview outside. And like, it's not ideal, but you can kind of make it work, you know?
0: Yeah, because here, like, we we just started, you know? It's just like we just put your mask on, basically, you know? (laughs) <laughs> not, yeah it's nothing, scary. nothing else much changes really in fairness I mean it's alright they did that in, with the Spanish flu right I mean yeah so yeah kind of kind of happy yeah happy to be I think back.
1: everyone's kind of making it up like right now as they go oh. you know
0: <laughs> that's the thing like we need to be a little bit more caring in each other you know and not just about your choices you know because your choices Influence, you know, other people' health as well, maybe. So, if that kind of, kind of like clear, you know, to our industry, that I think it's not a big deal. There, there are some getting sick. You know, I think Batman yeah. was stopped after three days. because the main right. actor? We don't know actually who really but. So. Yeah, no partying on the evenings. Yeah, <laughs> That's <a thing>. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, I don't know. Go back it's... to your kids. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not partying anyway, so <laughs> exactly. I don't hear
0: them anymore. Yeah, um, do you think there's anything positive anyway coming that probably might come out from from these these days? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I definitely think that once you can return to having the option of doing more in-person stuff that the flexibility of being able to work from home if you need to or to work remotely like ultimately that will be a good thing and it'll it'll enhance like collaboration and I think it will enhance people's you know work-life balance and then like especially for parents working parents stuff like that so I think that's helpful. I think a lot of companies that, you know, were maybe kind of behind on that, like had to catch up to it. Um, I think that's good. I, you know, I, I mean, I think the conversation in in America around racial justice is, um, you know, hopefully not just a moment and is actually a movement. And I, I think there was just some, you know, it's not like, um, George Floyd was, uh, (laughs) the first person to be murdered by the police, but I think for whatever reason, and I, I think it was partly the pandemic and the fact that everyone was kind of like stuck inside with the news, um, it, it seems like, it, especially among white people, it seems like it sparked a different level of conversation. And that's, you know, in America, that's pretty <laughs> amazing. Um, I don't know. It's like hard for me to think beyond November <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> Although it probably won't be November, like it's going to take forever because it's all going to be, it's going to be a nightmare. Um, like, I feel like there's two realities and I don't know which one we're going to split into after that. Um,
0: if the, if there is a split anyway, I mean, well,
1: yeah, no matter what, but yeah.
0: hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Well, I might come join you in in Dublin or in, or in London, if <laughs> depending on what happens. I might I might get out of here, skedaddle. <laughs>
0: you get through uh, that. You get through. It. Yeah, we we yeah. have experience in Italy, you know. Yes. Yes. That kind of characters. <laughs> <laughs> and and what your friends, artists, and um, colleagues at work think about the future of filmmaking? You know, after. After this year, maybe it's too early to ask. I don't know.
1: I think it's, yeah, I think it's too early. I mean, I hope that, you know, we're eventually able to, you know, that there's a vaccine and we're able to find some normalcy. Um, you know, people need content, they love content all the time. <laughs> um, so I don't think demand is, you know, going, going to go down. Um, yeah. And I think the conversations around like inclusivity and um, all that stuff are are really important and will make we'll make better films too. like it'll it, there will be better storytelling, um, which is the ultimate goal. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's I like I feel like it's impossible to predict anything like it's just so <laughs> it's just so wild, you know, like uh, this year. Who knows what's coming next?
0: Like (laughs) a last question I have, um, is, um, about your career path. Like, uh, would you have done something different and what what would you tell to somebody like to become a producer or work in documentary in a company like yours?
1: Yeah. Um, I, well, I definitely tell people like, just go make something because the barrier to entry is so much lower these days. And, um, I think you can learn a ton from both things. Like I, like I tell people like, find, just go make something, find your people, you know, like you and I found each other <laughs> in Dublin in 2005. Um, and just cause you just learn so much and you also learn, what you're good at, like it's important that you're actually skilled. It's a talent driven business. It's a craft like I, you know, I, I tell people you can sometimes learn more by just going out and making something than going to film school. Like, you know, you need to like it's a craft. Um, so you need to do it. Um, but at the same time that you also can learn a ton from people that are, you know, that are in the industry and doing this. And so if I think if you can find both like mentorship opportunities, just take the job, get your foot in the door, you know, um, work hard, don't burn bridges like that, all that kind of basic stuff.
0: (laughs) Um, Wait for kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know. You can't, you know, I mean, I think you also, there's no like straight path in this industry. And so I think,
0: um, there's a bit of luck as well.
1: Yeah. A bit of luck and being open, you know? Um, I mean, I also like what, something that's been interesting for me recently is like, you know, when I was younger, I was always creative. I did like a lot of visual arts when I was younger and then I did theater and I always like gravitated to writing and producing. And I started out as as an English major and a creative writing major. And then like realized that I could study film and was just like, Oh, well if I could just like watch movies and write about them, like that's totally what I'm going to do. But now as I've gotten older and I think especially now that I'm at like a point in my career and even in my life like there's always these different stages right it's like I want to get to this point in my career and then like I want to have a partner and then I want to have a baby and then I want to get to this point in my career and blah 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 like there's always this next thing and I'm kind of like for the first time ever at a point where I'm like okay like all of those things are kind of
0: Settle happening
1: out. like what the mm. fuck do i do now <laughs> like um, and i have started to um kind of separate like not trying to get all of my creative um i don't know like rewards from work and finding stuff like, in the pandemic, I've been, like, just for myself, I've been, like, writing poems, and I've been, like, doing watercolors, and, like, like I realized that there's, like, a part of me that... um There's a part of me that wants to do stuff at a really high level that people are going to see, that's going to, like, get out there, that's going to, like, make culture. Like, I want to be in that conversation and part of that conversation. And then there's a part of me, though, that just wants to, like like look at a flower and be like, oh, that's a really pretty color. <laughs>
0: the, the kind so of more creative I'm, side.
1: Yeah. And so I've, I've, tr- like, I think sometimes when I tried to combine them too much, um, it was stressful and kind of unfulfilling on both ends. And so uh, now I've, like, learned to kind of separate them a little bit. And that's actually been really helpful.
0: Okay. I think we can close with this. It's a nice okay. point. <laughs> and th- thanks for the insight, Joe. Yeah, um, thank
1: you Luca. I mean Luca's my original film partner. <laughs> so, you know, yes, I learned a lot from just just going out and doing stuff <laughs> with you.
0: So it was the same for me. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and hopefully you've been inspired by Joe's stories today. and you can check her work at the link in the episode description. If you'd like to hear more stories from artists, get notified when episodes are published. Follow Carpedium on social media and please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app. Uh, Carpedium is an all main streaming platform like Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and many more. If you use Apple, iTunes, I'll be appreciated if you could write, uh, write a review. Uh, it will help Carpedium to rank up in the searches. These stories deserve to be heard. You can find direct links to your favorite app and social media at the Carpedian website, carpedian.podbean.com. Thanks for being with us. Till the next one. Ciao!